Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, thank you for the amazing privilege that we have to, to be in this place and the, the amazing uh, privilege, again, that we can, can have the, the, your whole story in, in, in your word. That help us to never take that for granted, the Bibles that we own and have in this church and at home. But we thank you, Lord, for Mark um, being with us again today. Thank you that you've challenged him and, and given him the, the words to speak this evening. Just uh, pray again that you'll speak through him. Give him the, 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 your, your, your words, Lord, your, your freedom um, in, in the spirit to, to, to bring us um, a message from you this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening. Uh, before we get started, I'm going to ask for some, some people's help. I want to ensure everybody has a Bible, please. Well, yeah. <laughs> but um, if we can just get some people to pass out Bibles to everybody, be sure everybody has a Bible, that'd be superb. Thank you. And as the Bibles are coming around... Uh, we're going to be in the book of Exodus, chapter 5. Let me give you just a very, very brief update. Uh, most of you know I'm an evangelist. I, most of my evangelism is done by going door by door. And uh, as you pick up your Bibles and turn to Exodus 5, I want to tell you briefly a story of a, a young lady that I met. Often on the doors, we don't get to explain a lot. We don't have a lot of time for various reasons, uh, people's interest level. Uh, but what we get to do is to break down some of the barriers that might prevent people from believing in Jesus Christ. So I met a young lady, and uh, she was saying no, 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 no to everything. And I uh, said to her, you know, you've probably read books on Winston Churchill, Queen Victoria, Michael Jackson. And you probably believe that when you read things in those books, um, they really happened. Yet when it comes to the Bible and you read about Jesus, and, and probably that's the only book you think, well, that couldn't have happened because it was written down. And she said, yeah, that's, that's, that's probably true. And I said, that's not fair, is it? And I had to say that three times, but she finally admitted, yeah, that's not fair. And then she did accept a New Testament. Now, whether she reads it or not, that's up to her. But if she's honest from now on, she can never just dismiss the Bible out of hand and say, and it's just not true because she doesn't do that with any other book. So we pray for her on an ongoing basis, and we'll see what the outcome is. But what we're looking at is God's very word. It can be trusted because it was written by God himself, and God is holy. He's totally separate from sin. He does not lie. So the words we're going to read tonight can be fully trusted. We're in Exodus chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, down through verse 23. Exodus chapter 5. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at the different characters in these verses and, and let's determine together what we can learn from their different characteristics. We're going to begin with Moses and Aaron. And uh, before we do that, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the testimony that you have preserved faithfully in your word. Help us even tonight to simply read and believe. And help us to learn from the truths that you have presented and preserved for us. Amen. So Moses and Aaron, the characteristic of Moses and Aaron is that they were faithful. And so the question perhaps for us is what does it look like to be faithful? What 
challenges might being faithful present to us. So let's read verses 1 through 3 of Exodus chapter 5 together. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now, let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. Now, Moses and Aaron did and said exactly what God instructed them, and that's what faithfulness looks like. I wonder what God has instructed you to do. Have you done it? If you have not, you have not been faithful. Look back at Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. One importantly exciting thing about faithfulness is that faithfulness is initiated by God. So in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, we find these words. When the Lord saw that he... Moses had gone over to look. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. So you see that faithfulness is initiated by God. And in Exodus chapter 5, verse 3, Moses and Aaron said these words to Pharaoh. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So you see, God takes the initiative The initiative he takes is that he reveals his instructions. He reveals his will to us very clearly, and we simply obey. In verse 11, we find these words of Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. From faithful Moses in Exodus 3, 11, we find these words. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. You ever felt like the task God has called you to, you're just not up for it? You know, faithfulness may be preceded by those kind of questions and doubts, but in the end, faithfulness still does what God has commanded. I wonder, do your questions, do your doubts prevent you from being faithfulness? Or do you obey God despite what you think you might lack? Well, What does faithfulness look like? Well, let's look at the result of Moses' and Aaron's faithfulness. Let's look at Exodus chapter 5, verses 4 through 9. What does faithfulness look like? Verse 4. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are to no longer supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make them work harder for the men so that they will keep working and pay no attention to lies. 
the faithful act, the obedient act of Moses and Aaron, the act from God that was supposed to bring relief to the Israelites has increased the suffering. You notice that using the name of God held absolutely no sway with Pharaoh. I mean, he said in verse 2, who is the Lord? In verse 8, he said they're lazy. That's why they're crying out to God. And in verse 9, he calls, he calls God a lie. Now, our call is to be faithful, despite circumstances. Listen, don't turn there, but listen to what God records of Moses' faithfulness in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 2. It says, he, speaking of Jesus, was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all, all God's house. In other words, Moses was faithful among the Israelites. Now, as for Jesus, he said that all of the Old Testament is fulfilled in him. Remember the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? Jesus said, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So when we look at Moses, we see Jesus. That's Jesus in the Old Testament. Moses is a type of Jesus, a pattern of what Jesus would do. Moses is a picture of the coming Messiah. Moses suffered. He goes to Pharaoh and the suffering increases. Jesus suffered. If you are a faithful Christian, you will suffer. Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Listen to how suffering is described. This, this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This verse and others inform us that the worth of what we suffer, the reason why we suffer, the pain we feel when we suffer will not be complete until after we are translated into the new heavens and the new earth. We don't look at the temporary circumstances. We keep our eye on the eternal glory that is to come. And that poses a question for us today. Will you continue to be faithful knowing Suffering will follow your faithfulness. Or will your desire for relief cause you to be unfaithful? Well, that's not the end of our look at faithfulness. What does faithfulness look like? Look at Exodus chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Exodus 5, 22 and 23. Let's see how faithfulness prays. It says in Exodus 5.22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Notice how faithfulness prays. It says Moses returned to the Lord. I like that. See, faithfulness draws us to God during suffering, not away from God. So many people I meet during my times of evangelism, in crises, in suffering, because of trouble, they turn away from God. How about you? Moses prays, why, Lord, have you brought trouble 
on this people. Notice those words. Faithfulness preserves the sovereignty of God. Moses recognizes that even in troubles, God is in control. How about you? Then Moses says, is this why you sent me? See, faithfulness accepts that God's call to be faithful is still active despite a worsening situation. Notice Moses does not declare the end of his service. It's more of a a probing question to God. Did I do it right, God? Uh, Can you give me more direction, God? It's more a question of hope. Surely, surely, God, this is not the end result of your call on my life. And yes, there could be anger, faithfulness, and faithful service does have room for emotion, of course. Moses says, he, speaking of Pharaoh, has brought trouble on this people. Notice there, faithfulness keeps the holiness of God intact. Holy means God is totally separate from any wrongdoing. So while God is in charge and in control, he is not to be blamed for the wrongdoing. And Moses says, you have not rescued your people at all. Notice what faithfulness does there. Faithfulness recognizes that despite huge obstacles, despite increased suffering, faithfulness recognizes the power of God. He's still declaring to God, you have the power to rescue your people. And that power resides in God alone. He just hasn't done it yet. Faithfulness keeps us humble and reliant on God alone. Note Moses does not state the rescue that he will do, but it's the rescue that God will perform. See, faithfulness causes us to dig into the will of God. And God's will still is to rescue his people. I wonder, does your praying reflect the prayers of a faithful servant? Well, now let's, let's look at Pharaoh. The characteristic of Pharaoh is that Pharaoh was foolish. He was foolish. The Bible says a fool says in his heart... There is no God. And it would be good for us tonight to identify the traits of a fool. Why? So we can love them and we can tell them the good news of Jesus. But it's also instructive for us to identify the traits of a fool because maybe, maybe even though you're, you're sitting here in this building, it may be that you have an unbelieving heart. So what does a fool look like? Well, look at verse 2. In Exodus 5.2, we find these words. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? The fool refuses to recognize the abundant, obvious evidence for God. I mean, Pharaoh could have started just with himself. I mean, he knows he wasn't the first Pharaoh. He knows he would not be the last Pharaoh. He knows other pharaohs have have died. He knows that one day he will die. That means, obviously, his life, his reign, his powers are limited. And since Pharaoh was not around even for the beginning of the Egyptian empire, he definitely wasn't around for the beginning of life. Therefore, it's logical to conclude there's a being who does have power to get life going and who has sustained life until Pharaoh's time. It's a logical conclusion to come to. And this being has left massive evidence of his power everywhere for Pharaoh to experience, although he questions it and doesn't believe it. Uh, The presence of oxygen. 
the sunshine, the stars at night, the trees, the variety of plants and birds and animals Pharaoh would have seen all around him. Yet, Pharaoh foolishly persists in saying, who is the Lord? See, fools pretend it is God's fault for not showing himself, yet God's proof is evident everywhere. And look further at the question he asks. He says that I should obey him. So Pharaoh obviously has the moral standard. He has ethics. He knows that the presence of authority demands a response. Where did Pharaoh get this conscience from? Actually, God says that the fool knows God exists. But the book of Romans explains that what unbelievers do is they suppress that truth. A fool will not obey God. Do you know of people who get drunk? Do you know of people who say I'm gay and want to get married? Do you know of people who say it's better to tell a little white lie than to hurt someone's feelings? Do you know of people who don't forgive? They are disobeying God. Like Pharaoh, they're living a foolish life. And look at the end of verse 2. Pharaoh says, I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Instead of worshiping the God that they know is real, fools choose to worship themselves. In those few words, I is mentioned twice. Do you know people who are the center of their own universe? (laughs) People who, like Pharaoh, begin with themselves, think for themselves, decide for themselves, and basically live life as if they were God? Those are people you need to go to and remind them that there is a God in heaven, and it's not them. Look at verses 10 through 18. Speaking of Pharaoh and his foolishness, verses 10 through 18 of Exodus 5. Let me read those for you. Then the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather suitable, um, to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required for you each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foremen, appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers, were beaten and were asked, Why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks. Your servants are are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. You notice what's going on there? The foolish behavior of Pharaoh? (laughs) Fools believe that they are in control. Fools believe that they hold the power and that they have this superior wisdom. Yet they make decisions that increase hurt and pain and suffering. And notice when Pharaoh is confronted with the truth in verse 16. That truth is, your servants are given no straw, yet we're told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your people. How does Pharaoh respond in verse 17? He cannot take responsibility. Do you know people who cannot take responsibility? The blame is always someplace else. That's what Pharaoh does. He blames the Israelites. Uh, They're lazy. Uh, They're believing in distracting lies. The blame is always elsewhere. Do you know people like that? 
they have to be like that if they are God, if they have superior knowledge, if they are in control, they can't let their guard down and admit fault, can they? What about you, though? Are you like that? Maybe, maybe you have an unbelieving heart. Or, or maybe you are born again, but, but you're living like practical atheist. Have you heard of that term before, practical atheist? That means you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but for all practical purposes, you live like there is no God. And you make decisions based upon your own wisdom, your own ideas, your own intuition. Notice, in all that we read, Pharaoh did not pray, not once, before he made a decision. Maybe you're a believer who's lived quite a long time as a practical atheist. Or maybe this is a new experience for you, if that is you. Maybe those times of being a practical atheist have come and gone in your life. But let me ask you this question. If you are a practical atheist, when you're living like Pharaoh, does your conscience bug you? during those times. And let me say, I hope so. I hope so. Because later on in the story, remember how we read of Pharaoh hardening his heart. And a hard heart makes it much more difficult to hear the loving prompts of God. So don't wait too late to stop living like a fool. Well, next we come to the Israelites. The characteristic of the Israelites is that they were forgetful. They were forgetful. Look at verses 19 through 21 of Ephesians 5, Exodus 5, sorry. The Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. What if the Israelites forget? Well, think about it. The Israelites forgot all the stories they had heard about God from the past, how God, by his power alone, created the world in six days, how God in his mercy rescued Noah during the worldwide flood, how God in his love called Abraham to form a new nation, and from that nation would come the promised Messiah. The Israelites had forgotten all that. And turn to Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. There we find these words which set off this slavery of Israel in Egypt. In Exodus 1.8, we find these words. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. See, the Israelites, just like Pharaoh and just like the Egyptians, forgot how God had raised up Joseph to rescue them. The forgetful Israelites, as we see back in Exodus chapter 5, well, they became bitter. You ever get bitter? Do you know people who get bitter? And they allow circumstances to cloud their view of God. I meet many in my evangelism who look at suffering and forget God. I need to tell you, suffering in some form will come your way. Could be the death of a loved one. 
could be health problems, could be financial burdens, could be relational issues. How many of you get bullied in school? Could be problems with neighbors or family. When those things happen, how can you prevent God from being blotted out of your view? Well, here's how you do it. Live for something bigger. Live for something longer lasting than temporary life circumstances. As tough and as difficult and as challenging as they may be. Live for God. Philemon chapter, I'm not, Philip, Philemon 6. It's just one chapter in the book of Philemon. Philemon is the American expression. Philemon chapter 6 reads, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You go to the lost, you go to an unbelieving world, you go to an anti-God world, and you constantly live a life which, which complements God. You constantly verbalize the good news about Jesus Christ, and you know what will happen? You'll feel weak, you'll feel helpless, and you'll be desperate for the people who constantly reject God, and you will cry out to God daily. You won't forget God You live your life loving your enemies and doing good to those who mistreat you. You cannot do that in your own strength. And you must rely on the love of Jesus. And you will not have God blotted out of your memories. In other words, you live your life for the glory of God. And that word means you magnify God. Isn't that an exciting purpose? You magnify God every day of your life. And you have to live in full daily dependence upon God to do that. Here's a question for you. <laughs> Why live life according to circumstance as the Israelites did when you can live life according to God's glory? Well, finally, let's look at God. Now, my favorite Old Testament book is Esther. You know what's unique about the book of Esther? The word of God, God himself, is never ever mentioned. Yet I love Esther, the twist, the drama, the timings. Now in these Exodus passages, God is referred to, but he never makes a direct appearance. Unbelievers, it seems often to unbelievers that God is like here in these passages. God is absent. That's how unbelievers view the world. To unbelievers, it seems that God is not the one who has sole power. To unbelievers, it seems like God is not in control. So let's approach God from this perspective. What if, what if there was no God? What if all we have to depend on is the interpretation of religious kooks, uh, Moses and Aaron in this case? What if evolution were true and there's no God, and that's how we got here. Well, let's use these Exodus passages to maybe determine what life might look like if there was no God. Well, to begin with, power would rest in the hands of the powerful. The pharaohs of the world would rule absolutely. Donald Trump has been very good for evangelism. I use him and King uh, Kim Jong-un Putin and Theresa May and Boris Johnson when I evangelize. And what I say is these are people with enormous power. It's not a matter whether you like them or not. They're in power. They have enormous power, but they are incapable of using it correctly, aren't they? What if there was no God and people like them held ultimate power and it was totally up to their decisions to sort out the world? 
Now, I know for a fact, because people tell me this in the doors all the time, people are generally distrusting and disliking and disillusioned with politicians. But what if those were the very people who held ultimate power? Most people are not satisfied in the world we have, and there is a God, and they're not satisfied with the politicians. How do you think they'd feel in a world that didn't have God and the politicians were in charge? How about you? Would you be satisfied in that kind of a world? And look at Moses and Aaron. If there was no God, Moses and Aaron would be deluded. They say they heard from this God who doesn't exist. They're speaking for God, and they, they, they're praying to this God that doesn't exist. Without God, prayer is useless. Who would you turn to for unfailing wisdom? Who would you turn to for strength? Who would you turn to for never-failing counsel? Who would you turn to in such a world for guidance? Notice how the Israelites blamed Moses and Aaron for increasing their troubles. Those who follow God have always suffered, as we've already talked about. You will suffer. You think that without God, suffering and trouble to those who follow a made-up God would decrease? Not a chance. It would definitely increase. In fact, the Israelites would be spot on for blaming Moses and Aaron if there was no God. We truly would be homophobic. I mean, think about it. Why? What right do we have to stand in the way of, of gays who want to marry or men who want to transfer into a female? What right do we have to stop that? Under whose authority do we speak from if there's no God? So I ask you, would you be comfortable in such a world? I heard a sermon where a preacher was describing a conversation he had. The other person persisted that evolution was true, that there was no judgment to come, that Jesus was just a good teacher, and really we're on our own just to, to do good and live the best we know how. And the pastor told this guy, you've painted a, mm, a quite hopeless, depressing picture. And the pastor said, you know, even if my belief were a lie... I'd rather believe my lie than your reality because my lie still gives far more hope than your truth. Well, I happen to stand with that pastor, but, but that's my belief. What do you believe and why? And looking at tonight's characters, I wonder which one you identify most closely with. Which of the characters we looked at tonight most closely describes your life? And your beliefs. And I want you to answer that to yourself very quickly right now. Which character do you most closely identify with? And now one final question. Were you being honest with the answer you just gave yourself? So you're going to stand before this God. There is a God. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. He knows your character. You can't hide from this God? Why not be honest? Why not be like Moses and Aaron? Why not be faithful? Why not live, not for circumstances, but for the glory of the living God? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we can say thank you, thank you, thank you that you have revealed yourself and that you continue to reveal your purposes and plans, not just for the world, but for us individually. Please give us ears to hear. Please give us honesty to know where we stand with you and help us to make the appropriate response in response to who we really are before you. Please, God, for your sake and for your glory, we ask this. Amen.